SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed in the podcast are individual opinions and might not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 74 with guest Agenis Fernandez. guest today is a principal program manager in Microsoft. And so welcome, Marjanis. Thank you very much, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. And so listen, uh, I've sort of followed where you've been over the years, but I I might get you to uh, just give people a quick background on your position and how you came to be here. I'm a principal PM on the SQL Server engineering team. So basically the team that does on-prem SQL Server, Windows, and Linux. And my, my peers are also known as the Tiger Team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my peers are uh, Pedro Lopes, uh, who's the uh, Relational Engine mm-hmm. uh, PM, uh, Pamela Hood, who is the uh, Storage yep. Engine PM, and then you have Saurabh Agarwal, who handles uh, 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 data movement and replication, AGs, and all of those things. And then you have Vin Yu, who's uh, the PM for containers, et cetera, et cetera. And then me, yeah. um, I do... Uh, a little bit of everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd say I'm one of the weird animals on the team. Is I, I, I recently joined back in April. So my I have two aspects to my job, uh, the business aspect of my job and then the, uh, the technical aspect of my job. The business aspect is um, man- managing ho- the hosting business for SQL Server. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hosting to force for us means anyone who sells SQL Server to an end customer, right? So yep. For example, AWS is my largest, my largest customer, and mm-hmm. then Rackspace, NTT Data, and all those guys, right? So those yeah. will be my customers from the, from the business point of view. That's I oversee the relationship with all of those folks, and then <laughs> that must be fun. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot to do in that area, yes. <laughs> and so but that's not all. On the mm-hmm. other part, the other part of my job on the business side is uh, kind of uh, participating in the OEM and hardware uh, manufacturing relationships. Um, mm-hmm. That we have on SQL Server engineering team, right? Because we want to make sure that whatever we do uh, has uh, uh, it's kind of keeping up with, with with the technology that's out there. What, whatever hardware innovation is taking place, we want to make sure that SQL Server is, uh, uh, you know, at the forefront of uh, uh, the uh, the tip of the spear, sort of mm. for uh, yeah. uh, for embracing new technologies. Mm-hmm. And one of those technologies is actually persistent memory, which is actually my technical role within the team right so i am i pm features for the database engine mm-hmm. uh, i work very closely with the performance engineering team and out of that team there's a there's a few engineers who dedicated themselves to working on uh pretty cutting edge features for sql server to embrace hardware innovation mm-hmm. uh the main one or the most uh, um the most prominent one i should say on sql server 2019 is um uh persistent memory yeah, so persistent memory is a. It's going to change so many things out there. Yes, I think I think so. The, in fact, I should note that this is uh, the first of the shows that uh, I'm organising for SQL Server 2019, and uh, this is a, a topic I was keen to see as part of this. Because um, uh, now, in your case, though, you have a background in storage and things as well. 
I do. Yeah. So I used to work for a storage company, Pure Storage, uh, uh, up until early on this year. Uh, and I learned a lot of things, you know, and, and especially how um, RDBMSs, and in particular, of course, SQL Server, interact with storage uh, with storage devices. Mm. And so uh, I, that the knowledge that I that I that I uh, uh, that I grasped in that company has been very useful in embracing mm. this new brave world of uh, of persistent memory. Because persistent memory is just another storage device, right? It's yeah. just how you access that storage device makes all the difference in the world. But look, this sort of thing has to be a change because if you look, I look at so many aspects of SQL Server today that are still showing, I don't know, thinking in some areas that is, you know, many decades old now at, at this stage. And that whole concept of, you know, how databases talk to storage and things like that, you, you can just see that this is, the change is coming and it's, it's coming quickly. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Sort of interesting that 2016 added some support for non-volatile DIMMs or NV DIMMs, and I suppose for people who haven't come across these, this is more like a oh, I suppose like a flash DIMM. Uh, the the biggest difference is it then uh, has something that allows it to sort of persist the memory. So I know most of the ones I looked at, I saw early HP ones and the ones from. Uh, SK Hynix and so on. From what I could see, they seem to have like a supercapacitor on the board. And then basically, if power was lost, they used the power in the supercapacitor to give them enough uh, energy to be able to sort of store the data that was in the RAM stuff across to the, the NAND flash and then be able to sort of pull it back again. So you got the sort of benefit of something that ran like RAM the whole time, but was sort of persistent like DIM. Is that pretty much how most of them are now? So you described one of the flavors of persistent memory mm -hmm. that's called NVIDIM-N. Ah, so, so what's the dash N? Uh, yeah, I actually yeah. don't know. No, right. okay. Yeah, cool. There's a, there's a bunch of them. Uh, there's NVIDIM-F, NVIDIM-SW. There's, there's a whole lot of them, and I, I don't know what they do, but I don't mm. know what the what the actual acronym stands for. So, mm. you know, forgive me, audience, because I really don't know what it is. No, but no, I'll tell fun. you. I'll tell you how they work. Right? But in so, the end, the the uh, aim is that they run like RAM the whole time, but they don't lose your data. Correct. Right. So mm. the persistency of the data is actually the key for the devices there. For for everything that's end, which you described very well, right? You have the you actually have and you actually have DRAM. Right mm -hmm. on the same DIM format that you use on your servers. Yep. Right? And then you have, in addition to that, you have a piece of flash that's backed by a, a super cap. So in case you lose power to the system, it flushes on the D stages all the data sitting on DRAM down mm -hmm. to that that, that to that to that uh, to that piece of NAND that's sitting mm -hmm. on the same DIM. Right? And, and upon system restarts, so the BIOS will tell, actually tell the device, "Hey, look, it's time to boot up. So why don't you read all that data back from the NAND into mm -hmm. the into the DRAM. So when the operating system starts, that data is already there, right? So whatever it was already present there. Yeah. Uh, so that's how, that's one of the flavors for, for persistent mm -hmm. memory. So the other the flavor others? that's actually, yeah, yeah I was going to go into that. So mm. the, uh, the others are mainly two from uh, two very prominent companies, right? One from HPE mm -hmm. uh, called uh, Scalable Persistent Memory. Yep. Right, which is a product that I actually don't know what the status of that is these days. Mm. Uh, I think that was the first one I came across, actually, uh, that was that one. Yeah. Right. So the difference with this, with the SPMM from HPE is that it actually uses your traditional DRAM sticks, 
Mm -hmm. right? So they're not very different, right? But they are backed by an entirely isolated, separate power subsystem mm -hmm. and a set of disks, no, not disks, but, you know, NAND yeah. SSDs or Optane SSDs, right? Typically, mm -hmm. the flavor that you see out there is NAND-based SSDs or your traditional yeah. Flash-based SSDs. So, with, and, with in like that a, case, you were saying an Optane controller or something like that, so a standard so, controller yeah. for those. Yep. So it's basically just just a just a one of the uh, though your more traditional, uh, um, you know, two point five inch or three point five inch format mm -hmm. discs that you would put on a server, right? Yeah. Um, and in this case, uh, the you work the same scenario applies as an NVIDIA-N, right? If you lose power, whatever's sitting on the DRAM, using that power that comes from that isolated power subsystem, and that power subsystem, uh, in, that, in the case of SPNM, is actually a, a little battery that sits on your server, right? a little UPS that sits mm -hmm. on your box, right? So you can imagine how much com more complex the uh, design of a box uh, of yeah. an actual server becomes when you start throwing this, this stuff in there, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the uh, scalable persistent memory from HP, mm -hmm. which is... Again, basically DRAM speeds, right? Yeah. And then there's a third category that, you know, out of the, I consider basically three mainstream categories of them. Mm -hmm. NVIDIA, which I described at the beginning, um, uh, that has a maximum capacity today of 16 gigabytes. And yep. there's a roadmap for 32 gigabyte devices for that. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine going on, on a box, you know, you can fit you know, eight, 12 DIMMs or maybe more. You mm -hmm. can fit a, a good chunk of data, right? Yep. On SPMEM, you can literally have uh, terabytes and terabytes and terabytes uh, of uh, of, S of uh, persistent memory as well. Mm -hmm. But the cost of SPMEM is pretty high because it's not only the cost of the DRAM itself, but also the cost of the of that power subsystem of the, the that isolated power subsystem, that separate power subsystem, mm -hmm. and the disks to back up all that data. And then when you're reading back, when you have to start a system back up, you're reading from all those disks, right? So you're incurring into potentially a pretty lengthy operation. Because if you, imagine if you have uh, six terabytes worth of SPMEM. The mm -hmm. moment your system dies and it has to recover, it has to reboot, it has to read six terabytes worth of data from those disks, right? Even yeah. if you're using SSDs, that's going to take a while. That takes not a while, that yeah. we're not used to servers not taking a long time. <laughs> to start, yeah. And, right? But in this case, the, they do take a, a significant amount of time. That adds on mm -hmm. to, the, to the entire process. So now it's not just post and checking memory and doing all of these things that's that post to us, but uh, also um, uh, bringing all that data back into DRAM. So that's as mm -hmm. been And then there's the 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 what I call the game changer. Mm. And that is uh, Intel Optane DCs, which is mm -hmm. part of a set of technologies codenamed Crystal Rich, whose first iteration is, uh, it's just named Optane DC, but the code name for that is Apache Pass. So a lot of people will talk mm -hmm. about it, will say Apache Pass or AEP. And that's actually how they will call it sometimes. Mm -hmm. The difference with this uh, particular technology is that it's the same NVIDIA format, right? And some just a DIM. Mm. But the actual medium that uh, has that these that these stems have is actually Optane or 3D crosspoint media. Mm. Just the same as you see on those PCIe cards or yep. AIC cards, uh, yeah, depending on you know who you talk to, they use those terms interchangeably. Mm. Uh, or even the regular traditional uh, 2.5 uh, inch SSD format. Yeah, so formats. Format, yeah. Right. So Optane drives have been around for a while. The capacities are not that big, but the latency that they can provide is actually very, very good. So mm -hmm. now Intel saw the writing on the wall. They say, oh, wait a second. I can achieve 
latencies that are pretty darn close to those latencies of DRAM. So now I can do a product that has very similar, very similar performance characteristics to DRAM, yet has significantly um, bigger footprint from the storage point of view. So you can provide more capacity on, on Apache Pass than you could on any of the mm. other um, um, persistent memory solutions out there. Mm. So right now, you see um, Intel has um, basically acknowledged that they're only going to release 512 gigabyte um, uh, Intel Optane DC uh, DIMMs on V1. Mm. But you can imagine that they have a, 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 a roadmap yeah. for, um, for denser uh, DIMMs coming up mm. in the future. But that's a big game changer to me because it actually enables, you know, big, big, big capacity without yeah. having to buy a lot of DRAM. Mm. So, you know, that the, uh, the yeah, price per scenario has become interesting there. Yeah, it all sort of struck me that it, when I looked at like the the PCI like NVMe cards or things like that, or or you know the back in the fusion cards or things like that, it was still usually always the bus was the the main bottleneck in that sort of whole architecture, and uh, it it always sort of struck me as odd that they didn't have some arrangement where you could like plug them into the memory socket somehow or something. You know, would would have been the the go really um because and i suppose that's the thing too i see people getting faster and faster drives but if they're still connected down through the same sorts of channels and things you you, you like the channel the software all of those layers of things would seem to be the the, the real bottleneck rather than anything else where if i look at uh, i don't know so spinning drives and ssds and things are usually in the sort of milliseconds type latency and those NVMe ones are usually in microseconds, but I could imagine NVDIM would typically be in what nanoseconds. That is correct. So mm. uh, the latency of NVDIM is definitely an order of magnitude better than than that of SSD. Mm. Even PCIe attached nano PCIe uh, attached Optane, the latency of of a device that sits on the memory bus, it's definitely going to be um, a few a few CPU cycles mm. measured in nanoseconds. So that's a uh, you know, latency of register access is also single-digit na- nanosecond, right? So it's extremely, extremely fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, depending on what technology you use and you get, you know, double-digit or maybe even triple-digit uh, latency, mm-hmm. still in nanoseconds, not quite getting to the microseconds range, but the latency is extremely, extremely good. So you can naturally imagine that for databases like SQL Server on very intensive OLTP, very highly transactional a quick in and out operation of any sort mm. that's going to be an extremely an extremely welcome um uh technology uh mm. so, look I, one thing right. though i'm thinking also is that the thing i was saying before about even uh design of sql server is that you know again you've got this thing where we had like the buffer cache you've got the pages and the buffer cache is basically a cache of pages off the disk uh, was the storage before. But the thing is, if the storage is basically memory, doesn't that sort of mean that the whole need for a page cache starts to disappear? I mean, you could sort of directly address the... And the, that's actually the, yeah. one of the things that we're, mm. tried, we're tackling with SQL Server 2019. There's a new feature that we uh, rolled out with CTP 2.1 that's actually called hybrid buffer pool. Mm. And so with hybrid buffer pool, what we do is precisely avoid... avoid all of those code paths to perform a physical I.O. Mm. Um, because a logical I.O. is a physical I.O. 
on hybrid buffer pool when your database sits on an NVDM device. Yeah. So that's really interesting, right? Now, you know, if you have a query that needs to be sufficed with, with, you know, with, with some pages, our page finding functions basically say, oh, wait, it's, I already know that this, my page is actually sitting on an NVDM device. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just going to access it directly on the NVDM device. I'm not going to actually make a copy of it before I deal with it on the buffer pool because it's only last mm-hmm. latency, right? So we're avoiding a lot of kind of baggage from the engine that was there before because it was necessary. Yeah, so yeah, we, yeah. It made we could, only, we could yeah. only make things work by caching things on, into memory, which is strangely enough, a concept that translates directly to how some storage subsystems work, right? They have mm. some persistent medium and they have some, you know, immediately accessible medi- medium that provides better latency. So yeah. in, in general, we're, we're shifting away from that model into a much more flat, um, you know, kind of a, a storage access model. But this is challenging basic von Neumann arch- computer architecture cha- um, uh, designs, right? Where you had your primary memory and your secondary memory and your and your CPU, right? Mm. Now everything could be primary memory. Yeah. So the 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 big challenge for us on the SQL Server engineering side is acknowledging that we can do a lot a lot of things very differently, right? So to start getting wild with your imagination as to what could we possibly persist on on BMEM. The possibilities are endless, right? There's a lot of things, for example, a lot of things that are generated at runtime on SQL Server. You know, the whole concept of ramping up as a SQL Server, which is a a fundamental uh, performance issue, right? So if you lose your box, whenever it recovers, there'll be a period through which that box has to go on which it's going to actually have to compile many, many more plans than otherwise it would. Mm. Uh, and, and it's going to have to cache a lot of plans. And, you know, it's going to have to do a bunch of things that could just be in memory by the time you boot up if it's persistent. Yeah. You see what I mean? So Absolutely. all of those... Uh, you, this, could, the, you could have persistent query plans and things like that. that they're just we could there get already. wild with yeah. this stuff. We could, we could go beyond the moon, right? So we can really take a hard look at all the things that we have done over the course of 25 years. Mm. Right? So you nailed that, actually, when you said SQL Server has code that has been around for decades. That's two and mm. a half decades, to be exact. Yeah. Uh, and all of these things we're taking a hard look at, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's completely awesome. Yeah, because uh, things like the page caches and stuff basically become unnecessary copies of the what's in the original storage in that case. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Well, yeah. I mean, from the storage, on the storage, we, you can only access clean pages, right? The yeah. moment you modify a page, we definitely have to make a copy of it. Um, mm. if eventually, we're going to have to flush it back into into the PMM device or maybe even into some other device, right? Mm. Um, depending on what you're doing. So that's why we call it hybrid buffer pool because yeah. not only are you accessing pages directly on their uh, persistent memory devices, but you could also continue to perform, perform your traditional uh, page mm. caching or like that we always we have always done. Uh, forever mm. and ever. It's so a mixture of the two. Your buffer pool is really just, and this is just, you know, nerd tidbit there. Buffer yeah. pool is just an array of addresses. Yeah. And it's literally just a, a C struct with mm. an, an array, an, an array of, a, of, a, of memory addresses. And that points to, you know, page ID, memory address, page ID, memory address. Mm. And that, that's really it. So when I, go, I need to go find a page, if I don't find it in that array, then I just, uh, um, then I just go, um, uh, fetch it from this because that, that actually means a physical I.O. Right? So, so now we've yeah. modified that. So instead of actually going to the, the disk device, we just directly access um, the, the memory mapped portion of the database file. And you don't have to map at all, which is actually an interesting kind of uh, uh, use case for PMEM. You can 
put a portion of your database on PMEM. You don't have to put it all on PMEM, right? So the possibilities are pretty interesting there. Some pretty cool scenarios. Yeah, no, it all looks really interesting. But in 2016, I remember uh, Bob Ward had a post where he was talking about the tale of the log caching yes. uh, on NVDIM. And so that was sort of, I suppose, really dealing with the fact that uh, at the time, probably drives were only typically eight gig or something like that. So it was like, yep. uh, what you what you could actually put on that that would be useful. That's correct. So when we uh, rolled out 2016, it was actually 2016 SP1 when we embraced Teladoc caching. Mm. Um, this feature basically meant, you know, let's we we took a hard look at you know the up and coming technologies, and we said back then, okay, so PMEM is becoming a thing. But the capacity of PMEM is actually not that great. You know, they're pretty expensive and, you know, has limited use cases right now. So what can we do for 2016? And that's, that's what we built. We built Taylor Log Caching. So basically your log buffers, before they're about to be flushed into persistent, a persistent device, mm-hmm. um, we don't have to go through the entire storage stack for that. Uh, literally, we just use, uh, uh, we just use, you know, we directly access the, fa- the um, memory, the PMEM device uh, and we perform uh, we perform uh, flushes using using the DAX interface uh, mm. for the fast system. Hi, this is Greg. Just wanted to thank you for listening to this show and let you know that if you'd like to let me teach you more about SQL Server, we now have both free courses and low cost courses available online and on demand. The courses include detailed hands on lab work for you to complete to reinforce your learning. And there are more courses coming in the next few months. You'll find details at training.sqldownunder.com. Right, so oh, that's... Yeah, actually, that's that's something I was in awe of. Of course, yeah. One of the uh, the favourite things people endlessly talk about with SQL Server and Microsoft things in general is the reuse of acronyms all the time, and uh, and of course DAX is already all over the place. And uh, yep. in fact, whenever whenever I search for DAX looking for a book, I always end up pulling up hair cream or something like, like that in, in Amazon. So, but of course now it's direct access for uh, basically yeah. for direct memory access. Yeah. Right. So that's actually a, um, a specification of, uh, of the way of that we would access a file system where you're mm. basically just uh, skipping, you know, in, important pieces of the file system that are completely unnecessary. Like a, like a file system cache makes zero sense to, yeah. go through when you're accessing a premium device, right? Those Actually, sort of... that, that raises the question. So what's the current state of operating systems support required for this sort of thing? For PMEM? Hmm. Oh, we support both uh, well, both Windows and Linux. Uh, you can actually run PMEM devices on Hyper-V VMs, mm-hmm. and you can actually run uh, PMEM devices on vSphere, uh, VMware vSphere um, uh, uh, hosts, Without a problem, so oh, it's nice actually because I thought you can pretty much do this anywhere. Yeah, because I thought originally I remember in 2016 one of the limitations was you couldn't use it with Hyper V at the time. Yeah. So that's so, actually sorted, is it? Okay, it is. Good. It is. So RS5 actually fixed that on Hyper V. Mm-hmm. So now you now you can actually do a, a pass through premium device to the VM, and then on the VMware side you have two flavors. You have the VPMEM device, which mm-hmm. is actually uh, meant to meant for memory mapped I/O, and we can talk about memory mapped I/O in just a minute. Yep. Um, but there's also a V PMM disk device, which is basically a PMM device on a block interface. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, which again, speaking of that, if you don't mind me going into that segue, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. It's very important for for uh, for the audience to understand this. Hmm. There's two ways through which you can access a pinion device, right? You can actually um, treat it as a disk, right? Treat yep. it as a traditional storage device, and you will still go through the so through your operating system's uh, storage stack hmm. um, to perform any I/O operations against that device. That is actually supported all the way back with SQL Server 2014. Yep. On SQL Server 2019 and uh, using um, Intel's uh, uh, Apache Pass or Optane DC drives when they're available later on in 2019. Uh, so you'll be able to, if you have any massive storage problems that not even a PCIe card uh, can fix for you, uh, you can you can potentially leverage a um, a payment device in block mode hmm. all the way back to SQL Server 2014 and just put your databases in there and you'll enjoy the low latency and pretty big throughput, right? Uh, yeah. They're actually pretty good at, at throughput as well um, uh, of a payment device. So that's accessing in block mode. Just going through the regular, you know, you're going, you're performing a read file, write file kind of API call against the operating system, right? You're still doing that. Hmm. Um, but the other way of accessing a payment device is more interesting way of accessing a payment device is treating it as it's meant to be. It's treating it as memory. So you, you still have a file system on the payment device. You enable uh, that file system for DAX access, which in Linux is just a mount flag. Mm-hmm. And on Windows, actually a format flag. You format your device for, for DAX. Um, and that indicates the operating system how it has to treat accesses to those devices, right? And on on uh, what we do for things like uh, hybrid buffer pools, I perform memory mapped I/O. So when we notice that we're starting up a database and that database is sitting on a PMON device, or a portion of the database is sitting on the PMON device, whatever pages uh, or whatever file, whatever files exist on the PMON device uh, that need to be brought online as part of the database recovery process, mm-hmm. um, we memory map them. So we literally create a page table um, uh, for those memory addresses, and then we. Um, we we have a, uh, now a way or a means of directly accessing those pages. So rather than performing those write file, read file API calls, you know, Win32 API calls, so traditionally called on Linux, you yeah. know, uh, file read or file write, et cetera, we just perform a mem copy operation. Yeah. And that mem copy operation, it's performed at user, at user mode. There is not a context switch of us calling, you know, yeah, so even for however fast operation. a context switch can be, we're yeah. avoiding that completely when when doing memory mapped I/O, and that brings immense benefits from the performance point of view. Yep, it'd have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you don't have that sort of switch from user mode to kernel mode and so on and back. That used to be painful. I remember in uh, Unix operating systems, but the actually the thing I was having a chuckle about too is I noticed they called it. Uh, enlightenment and so the uh this is when they uh talk about the accessing the device using uh, mem copy operations rather than going through the file system though they were saying the things were enlightened yeah, <laughs> it was a, lovely. uh so our, our engineers actually called it that way and we figured hey why not let's just call it that uh but it but it's uh but it's just memory mapped io right that, that's yeah. the, that's the concept of it so on linux we had enlightenment for the database files under transaction log, mm-hmm. um, and uh, on Windows we we do enlightenment of memory map IO for the database files. Yep. Hey, so listen, what's the situation with uh, compatibility with other features? That's always the thing because I remember in 2016 there was some issue around availability groups. I think where you could use it on the secondary, not on the primary, or something like that. Like, 
What's the state gone. of play with that? That, that? that limitation was gone. So now um, for Taylor Law caching, you don't have to, you're not limited to non-AGs anymore. You're not, not okay. limited to, to uh, uh, standalone instances anymore. So you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about that. However, for every buffer pool, there's a couple of limitations. And there's two limitations mainly. Uh, number one limitation is we don't support TDE. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason for that is that the, the pages, uh, we cannot directly access a page Yep. If it's actually encrypted, uh, if it's encrypted, we'll just use a block interface. Yeah, so we actually we can have actually to go through that code. Yeah, to, right. to actually get to the data. Yeah, so we'll still access it, right? So it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you cannot place a TDE encrypted database on a Beamman device. Mm-hmm. We will act. We will be able to access it. It's just that PageFinder PageFinder knows when it's fetching a page that's actually encrypted with TDE, mm-hmm. and then it switches into the block interface so we can decrypt that data and bring it into the buffer pool. Mm. which in this case will be the DRAM portion of the buffer pool. Make sense? Yeah, the totally. same situation actually arises when you have compression. Right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of things that we have to do for, deco- for decompressing and accessing a page in general. So if mm-hmm. we have to do those things anyway, then we're just going to fall back to the block, to the block interface. Because, yeah, otherwise you'd have to rewrite all the code as well. Yeah, right. So we would, have, yeah. we would have this, this massive mess of uh, pass, you know, if it's compressed, and mm. it's just something, man, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it gets a little complicated. Nah. So, and to be quite honest with you, if you're enabling TDE or you're enabling compression, that means that you're willing to sacrifice performance for the sake of whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're trying to achieve a smaller footprint of your database or whether you're trying to achieve data address encryption. The reality is that both of, the, both of those features are going to introduce latency into your workload. So that mm. means that you're okay with it. If you're well, okay with it, then we I, will... Can't, can't say I agree with the uh, compression one because I, I find I think row compression just across the board should be on. Um, we 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 just never see anything where that causes a problem, and um, page compression does if you use it wrong. <laughs> um, but the the thing we measure the CPU on a lot of those things, and we find that there's a lot of CPU in page handling, and if you end up with only a quarter of the number of pages, it's su- surprise. Like I mean, you have more CPU per page, but you know, if you're dealing with a quarter of the number of pages, sometimes that, that actually has a, we, we find that has a quite a profoundly good impact. It can, it can have, mm. right? But remember the kinds of workloads that Beam is actually directed at. Mm. They are workloads that are mainly transactional on which mm. page compression typically, and I say typically with, you know, a big, big yeah, asterisk, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing to use on an OTP mm. The re, uh, workloads, but the reality is that it, mm. sometimes it can affect negatively. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, I know. Usually, what we go looking for is things uh, that normally say the petition is scanned more than seventy or eighty percent of the time and updated less than twenty percent, or something like that. Yeah, where I see people who just turn on page across the board end up disappointed. Um, but yeah, I think if you use a, a, an appropriate proportion of it and we actually get really really good outcomes from it. Um, and the other reason uh, tends to work real well for us is it means that your buffers now hold you know three or four times as many rows and exactly. you avoid the io in the first place mm. yeah no they it's actually a play right but the largely you know, mm. again we'll say generically speaking um you know those kinds of benefits where you have to access more rows at any given point in time mm. or whatever operation that tends to be a more 
uh, batched operation or yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to be on your eight or sixteen gig uh, PMM device. Yeah, right, that, right, that's right. not what's going to happen. No. Hey, listen, let's not, of, not of, forget that yeah. you can still achieve. Uh, out of you know, you can still achieve mass monster throughput on PMM devices. Yeah, but there's still really good solutions out there that will easily outpace a PMM device in terms of performance on the throughput mm. side, never on the latency side. Mm. So if you keep that in mind, that means you know PMM is not going to solve world hunger on V1, no. right? Or not not with the latest incarnation from Intel, and not with any of the other ones, because the price per perf may actually be prohibitive for what you want to mm. do. But but the, this is just a nascent technology that is actually going to c- catch on very soon. And mm. when it does, we'll basically see the same thing that we saw with SSDs. Whether yeah. we're prohibitively expensive at the beginning, but if you really needed that kind of performance, you will be willing to pay for it. And then th- the market worked itself out, and now we are where we are in terms of pricing. Mm. Hey, listen, one, one of the things that is now rattling through my head is uh, always encrypted with secure enclaves which uh, we'll have a show about soon. Um, but basically that allows you to have uh, processor-enforced secure, let's call them computing environments or regions. Uh, okay. uh, and so how is that going to relate to things? Because this sort of then looks out of process or something or out of the... So do the two work together okay or not? So um, obviously this is all very, very, very uh, uh, new Mm. to the uh, to the ecosystem so how the two things get together uh you know we're still kind of working through those scenarios yeah. on, on, on the bm side and you know it's uh it's december of 2018 when we're recording this so you know mm. we have a ways to go until we <laughs> yeah. release sql server 2019 right uh yeah. so i don't want to i don't want to count my my chickens <laughs> before the eggs hatch but i'll tell you um i find that always encrypted on secure enclaves and the whole concept mm. of comp- confidential computing to be fascinating and very much applicable to SQL Server, right? Mm. Uh, the, the, the basic scenario of always encrypted on secure enclaves you understand, which is now I can be, have that data that was once sent to SQL Server as uh, ciphertext. Mm. I can have it become clear text uh, within a secure area of hardware that's hardware mm. protected that not even a system administrator can actually read. Exactly. So that concept is extremely powerful for mm. separation of duty enforced enterprises. Uh, so we are we're definitely looking at how this is all going to mesh up. Right now, this is mm. going to you know whether you can. Um, right now, it's basically uh, protecting DRAM, right? So PMM mm. uh, will have a place in all of this. Mm. Uh, it's just too early to tell what that's going yeah, to be. Yeah, now that's all right. Yeah, and just... by the way, <laughs> PMM devices already have um, uh, encryption at rest. Yeah. Uh, so if you need wanted to access those, um, you know, obviously offline, uh, mm. you won't. You wouldn't be able to read the data from them. But yeah. you know, if you're getting a hold of a PMM device, you basically have access to the physical box, and so mm. you know, physical security is a really difficult. Mm. Even on even on your cell phones, right? Which are actually the uh, the area of uh, of computing was secure enclaves actually um, uh, hit first, right? That's those are the ones that, that mm. had an immediate use case first, right? For your cell phone, where all your your critical information that you save on your cell phone is actually stored. So, for example, on my iPhone, you know, my fingerprint, if you were using the uh, the Touch ID, will actually be kept on a secure enclave, 
and like portions of the operating system will be kept secure in there with secret certificates and things like that. So, mm. you know, we're just extending that model into databases. Um, yeah. And Intel saw the writing on the wall and, you know, software companies saw it too. And now everyone is talking about in situ computing with PMEM and confidential computing with enclaves. Mm. So, you know, it sounds very, all very marketable. but the reality is that these are very powerful <laughs> concepts, right? I, I must admit the team who were doing that, I, uh, um, I, I can't admit to being a fan of the name Secure Enclaves, but that, that's a, a discussion for another day. But, I mean, in the end, that's what Intel called it. So, I mean, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I mean, we have to discuss that. I love is that every time they, they use the term, they immediately in brackets put an explanation of it. <laughs> if, if, I, if I told you how many things I actually want to change uh, within the engine or how they're called. Uh, Greg, you wouldn't even believe it. I have a, I have a long, 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 long laundry list, but mm. <laughs> you know, they won't, they won't let me change any of it. Mm. Hey, so are there any other features that there are interactions with you can think of, or at the moment that's, it's going to be a sort of a special use case, but stunningly important when, when it makes sense. You mean about BMM? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Generally speaking, on PMM, we have uh, tail of the log caching, we have uh, enlightenment of database and log files, and then we have hybrid buffer pool. Those are the three major things for PMM. Cool. Um, but you can imagine that, you know, things are going to branch out from there. Mm. Uh, and we are, we're definitely looking into, you know, what, uh, what things we want to prioritize on, what things we want to land on 2019, what mm. things we want to kind of... Uh, uh, marinate a little bit longer and understand how we're going to do them and how we're going to apply them and all of these things. But, but in what the best part is that, you know, we don't have to wait for the next big release of SQL Server to do any of this because we have Azure, right? Yeah. Um, we can keep working on things and whenever they're ready, we'll just start releasing them uh, on Azure. So mm-hmm. you can imagine that uh, in Azure at some point we'll have PMM devices. I, I can't claim to have any knowledge on when that's going to happen, but I, you, you can imagine that as, a, as any new hardware technology, eventually we'll have that yeah, there as well. Yeah, I know, for sure. I mean, uh, eventually that will be there. And so that's all awesome, uh, Janice. Um, so listen, is there anywhere that people will see you uh, coming up or sessions you're doing or anything anywhere? Or So the up-and-coming uh, will be at SQL Bits, and we're definitely mm-hmm. going to be there full force. Uh, you know, a, a lot of us are actually traveling to to the UK for SQL bits. So, you know, if people want to come have a chat with us about all the goodness of 2019 hmm. and, all the, and, you know, nitty gritty details about all the different features that come with 2019 of which I'll tell you, the list is ever increasing because it's growing. We're, yeah. We're not done. <laughs> we're far hmm. from done. Like we're CTP 2.2 and the list is pretty big, but it's, I can tell you guys, we're still working on things. Right. Um, Actually, you know, we'll one, be... one that I didn't see in the list much, is there any love for T-SQL things? I mean, there's obviously the uh, inlining of functions and things, which we'll talk about uh, another yep. show. But yep. I'm just thinking about just straight-out language enhancements. I couldn't see There's graphs enhancements as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's, okay. there's a few. There's also the approximate. Um, uh, yeah, the um, approximate, approximate count. Distinct counts and yeah, yep. those things, yep. The approximate QP, that's how we call it. The, mm-hmm. the, the, 
the the idea that you don't have to scan your entire data set to get an idea of what it contains. No, yeah. that's right. Because there's many, many times in code when you need to know roughly how many of something is there. And yeah. But it's not just but, in code, right? This actually oh, yeah. has very, very, very real business applications. You mm. don't need to know exactly how many flowers your competitor sold. No. If it's sold more than you did, you forget a rough idea that gives you that gives you an idea of of of, of, of where things go, right? What to mm. do about it. You don't need to know down to the cent how you know how many dollars your your uh, your supermarket made. But if you get a mm. good idea within you know two or three digits, you're more than happy with that number, right? So things yeah. like that. Um, obviously, I'm not advocating for sloppy accounting here. No, All I'm no. saying is that uh, these have you know the features like that have true business impact. Oh, in, in my case, I can just see many situations where people are providing, you know, like a, a status of where they're up to in the middle of processing something or things. And at the moment, often they go off and count the entire lot of them before they before they then start giving you where where you're up to. It's a, it's a bit like a, I find now I often start copying files in Windows and it sits there for 10 minutes working out um, how long it will take to copy the files, you know, and I just think, just copy. <laughs> you know, yep. Like, in the end, I've got to wait anyway, so I mean, you know, just start copying. <laughs> yep, you're absolutely correct, you know, how about that? Get get going, I'm waiting here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so you don't you don't always have to know exactly. No, that's great. And so, look, SQL Bits, yeah, that would be an awesome one. Big shout-out to the guys in the UK. The, uh, I must admit, I'm jealous I'm not going to get to that one, but uh, we have lots of people listen both from the UK and people who do go to those events. And uh, when I look around the world each year, that looks like uh, one of the fun places to be, actually. Oh, yeah. Every time I go to Bates, I have a blast. and abs- It's an absolute delight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people. some people just go for the party itself, right? Like the parties are always fantastic. But yeah. the reality is that it's actually one of the best conferences for singles around yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. So we just, we just enjoy it very, very much. Mm. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much for your time today, Jonas. Greg, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me here, and thank you for being such a big advocate for us out there. <laughs> thank you for your work on the SDU tools, which we find mm. super, super, super helpful. Oh, cool. And, uh, thank you for all you do for the community. So. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. 